Let's, uh, let's start. Uh, this, uh, evidently, this sermon is, uh, people claim they're going to listen to this on podcast. Uh, so I guess you're the brave ones who wanted to actually sit here and hear it live. Um, there were questions submitted on this topic, and I know it is a, a matter of interest on some folks, on the part of some folks. So uh, let's start off with a basic chart. All right. So, people This is column 1, people you are married to. This is column 2. People you are not married to. Right? So, a little basic review from our series on sex. Okay? Should you have sex with people in column one? Yes. Not only you, not only can, you should. Right? Should you be having sex with people in column two? No. But the question arises whether there is a third column, namely, yourself. Is it legit to self-pleasure, to shake hands with the bishop? Many people have wondered if there is biblical teaching on this, and some will turn to Ecclesiastes, where we read in chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And we find another verse that is like unto it in chapter 11 of Ecclesiastes, verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning and in the evening. Do not let your hand be idle. These verses are amusing, but they are not, in fact, about masturbation. There is another passage that sometimes is referred to, and uh, this is a story in Genesis of Onan. In chapter 38 of Genesis, we read uh, Judah one of uh, Jacob or Israel's sons, at that time left his brothers, went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and lay with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur. You've got to wonder what kind of nickname a guy named Ur had. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan and gave birth to another son yet and named him Shelah. It was at Kezib that she gave birth to him. Now Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in Yahweh's sight, so Yahweh put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, lie with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to produce offspring for your brother, which was the deal. This was part of the, not only custom, this was law in the ancient world, that if you, uh, if, if your brother's, if your brother died, you had to then take care of his wife in every way that that would involve. This was the kind of background of the story that, uh, where you had Jesus disputing with the, the Sadducees about the resurrection. They said, okay, well, so imagine, you know, that, uh, this, this woman, uh, has this, uh, has this husband and he dies and then her, his brother ends up taking her as a wife and then he dies and then the other brother and so eventually she's got seven brothers. They say, so in the resurrection, whose husband is she going to be? And that's when Jesus says, you guys are a bunch of idiots. 
so Judah says to Onan, lie with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to produce offspring for your brother. Because then the idea is that the, the child is then understood in an honorary sense to be the descendant, not only an honorary, but in a legal sense, to be the descendant of the, of the, the, the brother. Uh, but Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, which he did not like. So whenever he lay with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from producing offspring for his brother. So you may have heard of Onanism uh, or the withdrawal method. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the genesis of it. And what he did was wicked in Yahweh's sight, so he put him to death also. But this is also not about masturbation per se. Uh, neither is it, I think, really about a method of birth control. The issue here is a matter of, of disobedience to the law that said that he had to take care of his, uh, his brother's wife and produce offspring for his brother. It really had to do uh, with a failure to uh, pay her proper uh, honor and respect and, and to pay his brother proper honor and respect. So that's not what that's about. So if we don't have any clear teaching in Scripture, then we have to do what we call ethics, try to figure out from what we do know in Scripture, uh, what is it that is permissible, what is it that is a good idea, what is it that is prohibited. And so as ethicists, Christian ethicists have worked on this question of masturbation, you've had a range of responses. You get kind of a continuum. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, the folks on one side who would say that it is absolutely prohibited. Masturbation is absolutely prohibited. And then you have people on the other side that say that it is absolutely allowed, if not a good idea. But then you get, of course, plenty of gradations in between. Now, you do have uh, folks who believe that uh, it is absolutely prohibited uh, because it is unnatural. Traditional Roman Catholic teaching on sexuality will say that there is natural sexual intercourse and then there's everything else. So not only would masturbation be prohibited, but also uh, things that traditionally fall under the uh, category of sodomy, anal sex, oral sex, uh, manual stimulation, anything other than vaginal sex is considered to be unnatural and therefore to be impermissible. And uh, that's where, uh, again, you get people in the the Roman Catholic, uh, traditional Roman Catholic tradition who would who would take that point of view um, you get on the opposite side people who say that it's absolutely allowed because it's perfectly natural after all this is something that most people figure out how to do without somebody teaching them um, and uh, it's something that seems to be part of natural human sexual development this is something that that folks naturally do it's it doesn't it's a victimless crime so to speak nobody's getting hurt by this so how could this possibly be prohibited uh, if it's natural Um, But then there are other reasons that it might be absolutely prohibited. Some would say that it's it's categorically wrong. It's absolutely prohibited because it involves infidelity. If you're masturbating and you're married, you're being unfaithful to your spouse, right? The idea being that there's only one person you're supposed to have, have sex with, and that's your spouse. You would then fall in the category of other people. And they would say that that involves infidelity to your spouse. Um, others would say, no, actually, it should be allowed, or they might say it could be allowed. And I would say most people fall 
the category uh, who say that it should be allowed are going to say that it, it, it possibly is allowed, often because of fidelity. They would say, if you have, as to use the example I used in the sermon, you have somebody who's going away for a week for a conference, and, and if, uh, if he has the choice of taking care of business on his own rather than going down to the hotel bar and possibly meeting somebody or rather than going out uh, and getting into trouble, then maybe the best thing for him to do is to take care of tension, sexual urge in that manner and, uh, and dissipate it. This is also a, an argument for people who are single. If you're on the couch and things are getting hot and heavy, maybe the best thing for you to do is to head off to the bathroom and take care of business so that you don't get into further trouble. Then, of course, there are people who say that masturbation is categorically wrong because it is ungodly. It's just something that is a filthy, disgusting act that is, has no taint of holiness about it. There is nothing worthwhile about it. There is nothing that God could possibly honor. Uh, and then there are other folks who say, no, actually, if you are seeking to live in a, a godly life, then this may, in fact, be part of growing in holiness. This may, and, and, uh, this may be something that you can do that is going to, if you do it in the proper way at the proper time, if it's not uh, um, the sort of thing that you do half a dozen times a day, if it's not something that you do with, with uh, external visual stimulation, this may be a way that you can properly uh, deal with the, the urges that you have, especially if you are, if you are single and wanting to be married. My, the teaching for people who are celibate has always been, no, you need to basically never engage in masturbation because that is not going to be fruitful for you. Um, and and the, there's a sense in which all sexual energy has to be channeled into your devotion to God. But for those people who don't have a celibate calling, who are single but looking forward to be marrying, being married, that may be a way for them to manage uh, sexual desire. Then there are people who say it's absolutely prohibited because it is unproductive. There are some people who would say, you know, to use the example of uh, one pastor, uh, you you can't charge the gates of hell with your pants around your ankles, a bottle of lotion in one hand and a wad of Kleenex in the other, that there are more important and worthwhile things that God has for us to do other than that. And so every moment you do that, you could be reasoning high secret mysteries of the Trinity, you could be praying, you could be serving the poor, you could be studying your Bible, uh, or you could be um, making extra money to tie it to the church. So you shouldn't be doing that because it's unproductive, right? And it, it's kind of hard to argue that it's productive of anything, that it could be possibly, uh, so that it could be possibly uh, allowed. But the fact is there are so many things that we do that are unproductive. If you're going to take that argument to the extreme, you would have to uh, get rid of a whole bunch of activities. And so People who say that, well, okay, fine, it's not productive, but it is enjoyable or pleasurable. They would say that it's fun and it is a use of leisure time, much in the way that watching sports would be or that uh, other forms of play would be. Uh, and so you shouldn't constantly look at your timesheet, so to speak. Now, making all of this a little bit complicated is the fact that really there are two possible ways that autoeroticism can be expressed, two ways in which masturbation can happen. One is straight autoeroticism. Those of you who remember the Greek know that auto, auto is what? 
self, right? So this is self-eroticism. That's simply a matter of, uh, as the song goes, and when I was considering the idea of having songs for all these sermons, I was thinking we could have the, uh, we could have the battle between uh, dancing with myself, um, in, which, in, in which Billy Idol talks about uh, basically um, uh, with a record collection and a mirror's reflection, I'm dancing with myself. He is, he is having a, what seems to be a uh, full, fulfilling uh, erotic experience all by his lonesome. Uh, and there's also uh, a type of self-pleasuring that occurs in the context of marriage where you have self-stimulation, but it happens in the context of a marital relationship, in fact, in the context of a sexual encounter. So if you have, for example, one spouse who has difficulty achieving arousal or who has difficulty achieving orgasm without self-stimulation, there are some who would say, no, that's unnatural. The only person who should be touching that is your spouse. Uh, Others would say, no, if it's necessary for you to bring yourself to a place where you're able to engage in sex or where you're able to complete the act, then uh, that is something that is part of, that that can be part of the the toolbox, so to speak, Um, and, uh, and, and that would be permissible in that context. But you also have autoeroticism with your spouse in mind. So that's a situation where it's not really an encounter with yourself. It is a matter of of engaging in in masturbation, engaging in self-pleasuring or self-stimulation as a way of being close to your spouse, as a way of uh, feeling bonded and unified with your spouse. That can be the kind of thing that would happen if you're away on whether it's months and months for deployment or simply for a conference for a week. Um, You're not able to make love to your spouse, but you can do that in your mind. And so some couples will have phone sex when they're, they're away from each other. Um, or I guess you could Skype nowadays. Um, uh, but, but this is, this is a, in a lot of ways, this gets to the heart of what really is going on and the real problem with masturbation, why it is, why it is um, often looked at as being likely Prohibited. I guess I should put likely instead of possibly, in the, is that in most cases, when it goes on, it does not involve self-stimulation in the context of a fulfilling marital sexual experience. And it does not always involve, for faithful married couples, thinking about one's spouse. Uh, the challenge is that oftentimes for people who are married, that autoerotic experience will involve not the person's spouse in mind, but it may involve memories of past lovers or past encounters, or it may involve an encounter with an imaginary lover, somebody, or, or, or an imagined encounter with somebody that they know, that they would say, well, obviously I'm not going to actually cheat on my spouse with this person, but you know, I, can, I can please myself while I'm thinking about what that would be like. And, of course, this is also the way in which uh, it, it, the, probably the most common uh, experience of autoeroticism involves pornography, whether it's the, uh, the uh, what, what did Ron call it, the mommy porn? Um, 
I saw somebody had a, a picture. It was a, a, a you know, cross-marketing where you had uh, the Fifty Shades of Grey book uh, next to the batteries. Um, so there, there's that. There, or or when, when people are, are looking at pornography or viewing pornographic videos, um, this is the context in which autoeroticism um, is often experienced. And so the problem with that is that we're called in our marriages to be devoted utterly to our spouses. If you look at the kind of language, and I do because I conduct weddings, look at the kind of language that people use when they marry one another, right? The, the old Book of Common Prayer said, with all that I am and all that I have, I thee worship. That is to say, I give you, I ascribe to you the worth that is due you by uh, giving you all of my energy. You, 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 when you marry somebody, you are signing up to be the repository of all of their sexual energy and uh, they are signing up to be the repository of all of yours. Problems happen when that person is not interested in being that repository. As, as we talked about it before, Jeremiah says, drink water from your own cistern. Uh, the problem comes when your cistern is not available to you. So uh, in those kinds of situations, you know, six months after child, six months, six weeks after childbirth, for example, the best thing that a, uh, a husband might be able to do for his wife is not to bother her. Um, or the best thing a wife might do for her husband is to help him in enabling uh, his own uh, sat sexual satisfaction and keeping unity between the two of them uh, in a way that is that is going to uh, uh, going to work. Uh, that's where the the word mutual masturbation is very frustrating because the term usually refers to people manually stimulating each other, which is not mutual masturbation. That's manually stimulating each other. Um, so, uh, so this is the uh, this is the this is the place where we have all these continuums and all this gray area and all these places where we might say oh, on the one hand, on the other hand. The paradigm that I've found helpful in thinking about this, as long as, as well as some other things, comes from my own hard-won experience with orthopedic injury. So when when I blew my knee out. The first thing I did was I had to go to the hospital and and they put it in an immobilizing uh, uh, it wasn't exactly a cast they wrapped something around it but that kept it stiff that kept me from hurting it anymore. I went to the doctor and he performed surgery on me and he put me under and when I woke up I had a dressing which was made of hard pieces of plaster molded to my leg with with uh, gauze and ace bandages and whatnot wrapped around it. And it was necessary to allow for swelling. And then after a week or so, I was able to go back and get a cast. And the cast was a full leg cast. Kept my leg completely straight, protected it from any more damage, not only from me bending it, which I wasn't supposed to do, but also from anything from the outside uh, injuring it any further. Uh, didn't need to worry about swelling at that point. Just needed to make sure that it was kept. So it was a more convenient to have the cast. You could, you, know, you couldn't really get it wet, wet, but you didn't have to worry about a little bit of water getting on it. Whereas the, when I had the dressing, then you, you know, you get a little condensation on the ice bag that weakens the plaster. You have big problems, which also happened one of the times. And then after that, when you're done with the cast, they take you out of that and they put you in a brace. And at first, you have to wear the brace completely straight, locked out straight, and then they give you a little bit more bend. Then eventually, you don't have to wear the brace anymore, and you get to move on. Sometimes you'll have people look at something and say, well, that's a crutch, right? You know, 
your morning cup of coffee. Well, if you were really holy, you wouldn't need that. Or some people even look at all of religion and say Christianity is a religion is a crutch. And if you were completely self-actualized, you wouldn't need to believe that there's some sort of a God out there that you need. But, you know, my experience has been if you need to have crutches, you better use them. Because if you don't, then you're going to get yourself hurt even more. And if you need to have a brace, there are people who need to have braces and live their lives in braces, then they better use them. But for those of us who don't need to wear them, there needs to be something that you grow out of, something that you progress through. Because not only does it limit you to have a brace on, but it also ends up messing with everything else. So if you're used to depending on that, then uh, there are other muscles that aren't being used properly. Then other joints get stressed in, in the wrong ways. You're, we're not naturally designed to be people who walk around with braces. If you need to have one, I'm grateful that we live in an age where cripples aren't made fun of anymore. If you need to have one, you should have one. But for the rest of us, it should be something that you grow out of. And I think it can be helpful to think of masturbation in that way too. It may be that there are times in a marriage where uh, whether it's because there's been childbirth or some other medical issue, maybe somebody is dealing with uh, surface memories from their past. I know somebody who, who basically went two years without sex because his wife in counseling realized that she had been molested as a child by, by her father. Um, and so obviously he's not... Going to be, she's not going to be sexually available to him as she's working through the intensity of, of the recovery from that. So during those kinds of situations, it may be that masturbation, again, as long as it is the kind of thing like this with a spouse in mind that doesn't, use any, that doesn't involve any other people or pictures of them, that may be a way of managing that situation. But if you come to rely on it, then it throws everything else out of whack in addition to being awkward. But I think with this, as with so many things that are kind of gray areas, we should always be both suspicious of ourselves and gracious to ourselves. I think much of the motivation for this realizes, uh, or comes from, the, from, from a realization that we are sinful people, that even our best deeds are tainted by sin, and that many of our urges are unholy. And so we should examine carefully what our motivations are and what is going through our head and why we are doing what we are doing if we're involved in masturbation. But at the same time, we should be gracious. And I guess rather than saying we should be gracious to ourselves, we should embrace the grace that God gives us. We should recognize that Jesus' forgiveness extends to all sorts of acts, including fiddling about, and that our failure in this way does not mean that we are somehow disqualified from serving him faithfully. It doesn't mean that we are completely and utterly abhorrent to him. It's not like he's only offended by this, if this is what we're involved in. But I would, I think, end with not the song by Billy Idol, but by the Divinals, I Touch Myself. You, Mike remembers that one got a fun little bass part to it it's uh i don't want the refrain goes i don't want anybody else and when i think about you i touch myself i touch myself i touch myself i touch myself ooh 
I don't want anybody else. And when I think about you, I touch myself. I honestly do. Let's pray. Father, and this is so many areas, um, it's awkward for us even to talk about these things. And sometimes our awkwardness in talking about them with anybody else leads to us even being willing to surface them in our own thoughts or in our own prayers. And pray that where this area is every other area of our lives, that we would be not just willing but eager to do business with you, to obey the teaching of your Holy Spirit, to follow faithfully as you lead us. And pray that we would be aware of our own sinfulness, that we would be suspicious, but that at the same time we would embrace the grace you have that not only forgives sins, but that recognizes that people who are hurt or people who are going through some sort of recovery sometimes need to have some sort of assistance to get through that. But in all of this, we pray that in this area of our sexuality, like every other, that your name would be glorified, that uh, your church would be built up, and that you would be pleased. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.